Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, this is Joe Lynch. Welcome to my podcast. And today, the topic is understanding buying process with Steve Elwell. Steve, thanks for coming. Hey, thanks for having me, Joe. Appreciate it. So, little introduction for Steve. Steve's an old friend of mine, and I've known him for you know, 20 years or so. And he's really got some unique insights, some great perspectives on sales. He's done everything when it comes to sales. We work together on a variety of projects especially when it comes to sales. And Steve was actually my first podcast interview, which was uh, last May. And uh, this is the kind of friend he is when I said, hey, you know, I'm going to start a podcast and it's probably going to suck. He's like, yeah, that's fine. I'll do it. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so so he's, a, he's that kind of guy and brilliant man. So Steve, thanks for coming. Before we get started, tell us a little bit about your background. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? What'd you major in school and all that kind of stuff? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, as you know, I'm a small town guy. Uh, I grew up uh, outside of Detroit and, you know, in the uh, cornfields and uh, farms of uh, southern Michigan. Went to uh, Albion College, uh, another small town, and studied economics for four years and left there, went off and uh, got an MBA from Wayne State and entered the workforce. I guess during that time, as much as anything. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your career. Where'd you start and what, what are you doing these days? Tell us the story. When I finished business school, uh, I came out into a very soft job market uh, and thought, you know, I was going to do well and start out at the top of the company. And of course, I ended up uh, not and took a job selling printing door to door and learned the hard way what sales really is all about. Uh, after that, I ended up working at a company in Milwaukee doing sales for distribution networks in the Southwest, did some product development. And then uh, for a period of about 11 years, I was a retained search consultant hunting uh, executives for auto suppliers, manufacturing companies. And then a mutual friend of ours pulled me in to do uh, sales for him. And then consequently, or after that, I was COO, CEO, general manager of four or five companies, uh, and then uh, opened up my own consulting business uh, five, six years ago to to help companies uh, who are having problems with sales, who are having problems with growth, and helping them to get from where they are today to where they really want to be, you know, three, five years down the road. Yeah. And, and Steve, uh, I, I know I've learned so much from talking to you about sales over time. We talk all the time, obviously, you know that now my audience knows that you've done so much research on sales. And I think it's one of those topics that, you know, there's so many kind of old wives tales and myths that are out there about sales, you know, like always be closing and, you know, just stuff that, you know, really doesn't have much place in today's world. So I know you've done quite a bit of research on that stuff and um, hopefully you can share some of that today. Oh, yeah, I think, I think we can probably uh, talk about a few things. Yep. So today's topic is understanding the buying process. And I hope you can tell us a little bit about that process why it differs from the sales process and why it's so important for salespeople to understand. Yeah, no, it's the thing to understand. You know, what makes always be closing in some of those old wives tales so kind of ridiculous is the sense that, hey, one person can do one thing in any situation and have it work without knowing about the person on the other side of the phone or the desk. And it's a giant mistake. The buying process is what it is we as salespeople are trying to respond to and to influence. 
Yep. And we don't control it. The right. customer controls it. So how do you determine how your target customer buys your service? Oh, they'll tell you. That's the interesting part about all that. You know, who's involved? If you really want to know, you look at who's involved in the buying process. You know, if it's the CEO of the company, it's going to be, you know, it's going to tell you something about what, what they're buying. If it's the lowest level person in the company, that will also tell you. If it's something that they're concerned about that's potentially risky or has a big impact on their business, they're going to be the players involved and the behaviors they're going to exhibit will be consistent with that. If it's something that they're very sure of themselves, they've done it a lot of times, it's not terribly important, you can count on a much more rapid surface level kind of a kind of a process. It'll happen fast. So, yep. so, so let me ask a question there. In my business, in our, and you've worked a lot in transportation and logistics also, there's kind of a recognition that there's transactional sales and there's strategic sales. And the transactional sales tend to be, you know, get me a truck, you know, and there doesn't seem to be a long process for that. Now, other times, like I've always been involved in the strategic sales where somebody says, Hey, I spend 50 million a year. How do I reduce my costs? How do I pick, you know, a supplier? So right. talk about the differences. Well, there's some huge differences between those things. Clearly, if, if you're in the business of selling a truckload, the, the things that are going to create success in that, in that sale are going to be different. They'll be related uh, in the sense that, okay, you're talking about risk as both of them will be, but one will be much smaller than the other. The, the person you're talking to will probably be the only person involved in the deal on the customer side. And they're going to be interested in a couple of things. One, first and foremost, me as a buyer, are you going to do anything that's going to hurt me? And that means, are you going to sell me something for too much money? Is the price going to be too high? Are you going to have problems performing as expected? Are there going to be other things in this deal that could potentially hurt me as a, as a person, as a buyer? and make me look bad within my company. Beyond that, there's the things that could potentially hurt the company. Now, that relatively short list of things is going to be what the salesperson on the, you know, who's selling them the truck is going to have to respond to. Hey, do we have a truck available in that lane at the right price with the right combination of, of services? Okay, so that's, that's one thing. If you're talking about 50 million in you know, logistics services over the course of a year, now you're talking about something that's a lot more complicated. You're committing the reputation, a significant financial component of your customer to this effort, and you're looking to save money. So you would expect to see an awful lot more people involved from the customer. You'd see vice presidents of purchasing, VPs of logistics, to the extent that a company would have one, uh, individual operations people from multiple locations. I'm assuming you know, you're not shipping $50 million worth. You're not buying $50 million worth of uh, services for one location. And all of those people are going to be interested in the same things that the individual was in the sense that, hey, look, don't hurt me as a, as a participant in all of this. And they're going to be very careful about vetting and investigating potential suppliers of those kinds of services at that level. Also, because you're talking about you know, $50 million worth of services, it's worth it for them to spend the management time and resource to do that investigation. Right. So that's the difference, obviously, between the transactional and the strategic. I heard you say the word risk a few times. Please elaborate on how that risk is viewed on, on both ends of that. 
Well, you know, most, you know, most, if not all B2B is, is driven, purchase decisions are driven based upon risk. And, you know, those risks vary depending upon what's being bought and who's doing the selling. So for, for relatively transactional sales, the risks tend to be small and the risk control methods that buyers tend to use match that. So there'll be, again, a lower level person in the company potentially buying it. They've done it a lot of times. They have a lot of experience buying this. They know what their exposure may or may not be. You know, in a strategic sense, when you're saying, listen, we're going to contract with you for, to provide services on $50 million and it's all our shipments are going to be through you. And it's a lot of money. And our reputation as a company is in play. And if you don't do a good job, we may have other liabilities. And individually, should one person make that decision on their own and things go bad, that person's probably going to lose their job and they don't want that. So there are an awful lot of risks of varying sizes that play into this. So and what it's are those risks? to understand what that means as a seller, because you're going to so, have to address those things in, in each one of these stages of the sale. So what are the risks? Uh, in what sense? In, in terms of, I mean, the, it depends what kind on of, What kind of risks are these guys all trying to protect against? Well, there's financial risk, okay? And that's in a small sale, that may be price. It may be a liability that comes as a result. Let's say you're moving a hazardous material and there's inadequate insurance. There's performance risk. Uh, we need a load to show up at this location at this time, and it doesn't it's because a driver had a problem somewhere along the way. There's a million of them. I like that you use risk because when you're in operations, I'm an operations guy originally, I've always said what you're always doing, whether you're developing a new product or running a plant, you're always talking about how do I take the risk out of this? And the risks, to your point, could be a cost risk, could be a quality risk, a performance risk of some sort of failure that the customer's worried about. And when, I guess when we're selling, we're selling to ops guys. Yeah, pretty much. And the thing is, is that, again, it comes back to the fact that it's an investigation. And the, the buyer is trying to satisfy him or herself that these risks, that these risks are not large, that they're covered, that they're, they're under control. And that's what the questions that they ask and the request for information are all about. Yep, and, Steve, if I could ask you a question about this is you talked about the buyer will tell you. And in a lot of ways, your, what your, your point, I think, was watch them. So if the CEO is involved, obviously it's a strategic sale. Just in general, there is a buying process. Do you map that out? I mean, when you're working, I know you work with a lot of different companies. Do you try and map out what that process looks like? From time to time, it depends on what it is. I like to map it out if, if possible. Generally, the way it will happen is um, you'll have the same kind of sale being made time and again. The same questions, you can hear it from your more senior salespeople. Hey, we've asked, this guy always asked this question. These people always ask these questions at this point in the sale. And that mapping of it is useful. Now that said, different companies will engage and ask you know, different questions in different orders, but they'll always get to the same basic you know, verification of risk. So I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah, I think it does. And so okay. I think also what, as far as the time goes, if and I know we've had this conversation while we were prepping for this discussion sure. is every once in a while you'll go somewhere and they'll say, I need, I need this much say the owner or the president will say, I need this much sales by the end of the year. And then you kind of dig into what they're selling in the process, the buying process. 
might take three or four months. And you look and say, well, wait a second, guys, we don't have that much in the pipeline. And even if we got a whole bunch right now, the time required to close doesn't help us meet our goal, the goal that's stated. Well, and that's, that's a huge issue. And it's indicative of an executive or a company or an owner who hasn't taken the steps to understand what the buying process actually is, you know, for their sets of customers. And that's why it's important to engage in this process of understanding what the buyer is actually doing for a couple of reasons. One, it it keeps the company from making a management mistake. You may have gone out and hired a, a highly competent sales manager and then placed unrealistic expectations on them. And then at the end of 14 months or whatever it is, you can them and then hire somebody new and start all over again. And, and then you never realize again, the objective you set out for yourself. So, it, which means usually, you know, the company doing well, money in the bank, people making bonuses and so on. The other thing is from a timing perspective, if the questions are being asked again and again and again, and you know what risks they're going after, you're going to be asked about, why wouldn't you formulate those questions ahead of time? So to save yourself time and shorten the process for them to buy your products or services. We'll get right back to the podcast in just a moment. If you sell transportation or logistics services, the Logistics of Logistics can help you sell more. Our customized program will help you understand your sales personality, including your strengths and blind spots, get more sales leads, and improve your communication and salesmanship. We can also position you as a recognized industry expert and help you reach your target audience. To learn more, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com. And now, back to the show. Let's just say we're trying to sell something more on the strategic end. Let's just say we want you to store your goods at our warehouse and let us distribute them in that region. And let's just say we believe that takes three or four months to get to that uh, from beginning to close. Do you, when you're working with companies, do you try and nail down how long that process takes? Yeah, typically, uh, very much so. And I do it, I do it not just in a sales growth environment. I definitely do it in a, in an environment where a company needs some help, uh, where their sales are not what they need to be. The thing is, and this is, is critical. One is these companies typically will have existing customers. And for an existing customer to place a, a piece of business with a supplier is a much shorter period of time than what it is for a, pers- you know, for a new customer. So the processes themselves are very different. When you go for an, to win a new customer, a lot of questions that only need to be asked and answered once are asked. And that adds a lot of time. For an existing customer, those questions have already been asked and answered and the relationship exists and people know what to expect. So the process tends to be shorter. It's a little more predictable. It's a little easier. So yes, it's critical to understand how long it takes for one form of business or the other to be identified processed in one. And in addition, depending upon, you know, how well you know that, you know, know what these things are, it also allows you to pre-position, again, the answers to the questions, the resources, and I'll use the example on a strategic piece of business. If there's a, if a controller from the customer or prospective customer wants to talk about financials, well, then you probably ought to have your financial people in the room with them so that those they can speak the same language or if it's a if it's an operations person hey then you you're going to want to have some technical expertise and some data to satisfy him or her that of the reliability the quality of your service and so that they can plan and understand the fact that you're not going to disrupt 
their operations with your service. And most people have similar languages. They need to speak the language of finance, talking to finance, the language of operations, talking to operations, and so on. So this buying process that we're uh, discussing, it's defined again by the person making the buy, not the sales guys. So is there a way for us to close make it fast go faster can we influence that that time sure yeah within certain limits you absolutely can you know the if the customer is going to move slow the minimum amount of time required is their time that means that but we add time to it you know we as sellers add time to the process by responding slowly by responding with incomplete answers by responding with answers that beg more questions in ways that are not helpful the other thing is is at least for new customers, they will look at how, they, how they're being responded to and dealt with during the selling process as an indicator of how they'll be dealt with as a customer. It's not perfect, but if you're doing things, being unreliable, making commitments during the selling process and not following through, a new prospective customer is going to expect that, that they're going to see that in the, in the longer term relationship and you're going to be adding risk to their decision and going backwards relative to getting to a close. Yeah, I know. I don't want this to sound as if trying to shirk responsibility, but sometimes it bugs me when I think of the buying process and calling it a buying process because it's a process that's beyond our control as salespeople. Every time I say process within operations, it's usually within my four walls or with a supplier who works for me. So I can say, this is how long it takes. This is how we're going to manage it. This is how it'll be executed on a regular basis. When you talk about the buying process, we don't own everything. We don't get to decide if they decide we're going to take a long time, they're going to take a long time. Yeah, you're, you as a salesperson are influencing somebody else's process. And the challenge is that when you're dealing with internal management, finance, sometimes general management and others, people who, who have spent their careers dealing with inputs to their process that they have total control over, and they take that worldview and apply it to sales where they control very, very little of what's going in. And I guess in the, in the context of the Toyota mindset, there's a high variation of inputs to their process. You can get into trouble because the understanding of what sales is on the part of the people managing the company is not in line with what they actually control. And as a consequence, it will sometimes be managed as if it were an internal process when in fact it is not. Right. And you've said something to me in the past that I've always thought was a great answer is keep the ball in their court. So never be, never have them waiting on anything. So if it takes, if it takes you two weeks to do some analysis of lane rates, see if you can't get that down to <laughs> one day, you know, figure out a way to use maybe some new technology, some way to get away from extending the buying process by not giving information back as quickly as possible. Yeah, you have to control what you can control. Don't add time. Do everything as fast as you can. Do not add time, if at all possible, to the selling process or to the buying process. Sorry. Yeah, you can't. If you're on top of things, if you're responding in a timely way, you've prepositioned your resources, your answers and everything, you'll be doing your part in the least amount of time possible. And that'll help, that'll help your sale. The other thing is too, and this is, this is very critical. It very much helps you make your number at the end of the year. And the reason is because when you go and do the calculation of shortening up the cycle time on that, 
you find that there's an awful lot of opportunity that gets that gets added back in. It's a capacity thing. And again, this goes back to Toyota. It's a velocity of sales through your pipeline. And by increasing that velocity, by making each one of those sales shorter, you get an enormous, really a disproportionate benefit in terms of revenue. Yeah, that reminds me, Steve, you said something when we were prepping for this meeting about the three things you can do as the yeah. sales manager. Yes. You, yeah, you can do, you can increase the number of opportunities that you have available to you. You can shorten the amount of time that it takes to get to a decision, either yes or no. And you can improve the rate of success at which you close. Those are the three things that, that you need to influence in order to improve the sales performance. Yeah. And Steve, one other thing, and I, that, we've talked a lot about this over the years, and it's, it's a, it's a newer development with the internet is, that the buying process begins online now. And so often the sales process is still kind of, if we were to ask someone, when's your sales process begins? They'll say, when I make a phone call, when I pick up the phone or when I reach out via email. And it's a disconnect. Well, it's a disconnect and it's a particularly nasty problem, particularly if you're not somebody who's paying attention to the, the very early end or the very front end of a buying process. Because a buyer, maybe on the weekend, sitting at his house, goes online and sees your website, and then he calls. Well, is he going to say that to you or any of your salespeople? Probably not. So the, the sense that, one, that's where it starts, it's not reported, it's not obvious. If you're, if you're not of, a, of the mindset to think in that way to begin with, which many people are not, you miss it completely. And at the same time, you double down on those lead producing, opportunity producing behaviors that are not the main, you know, source. It may, you know, 80% of it's online or 90% of it's online and you don't see it. It's very easy for you to double down on some expensive lead generating methodologies, not get the return that you want, and then be looking around and wondering why that is. Yeah, Steve, it's a, I've done a lot of, you know, I'm doing a podcast that gets me some business. I've, I've always been a blogger. Uh, I've got a website. There's, there's ways that most of my business calls me or it's repeat or something along those lines. And I'm comfortable with this, but what I always kind of think is people might have a problem, but they don't want to necessarily deal with it. They might say, you know, I, I'm unhappy with the current 3PL, but I got 10 other things that are higher priority. So you might call them one day and they say, I'm not interested. It's not my biggest problem. So I'm not talking to you today. But the first day that they are interested, they might reach out to somebody who's online who they said, I really like this article you wrote. And they reach out to them via LinkedIn. And you might have called the week before and they were not at all interested. So I kind of think that the online has kind of given the the buyer a chance to to really manage them to be more in charge of the process than they ever were in the past. Well, it's true. And, it, and there's some interesting thing. You know, you bring up a couple of interesting points. One of them is the dwell time of a web page or an online resource, you know, is far greater than a phone call or an email. It's there and it's persistent. The other thing that I think is particularly interesting, and, and this is kind of the other side of the coin with respect to, hey, do you know they're doing it? With the diagnostics and, and data that can be taken from a web page, that allows you to get additional insight into the buying process. Again, that requires a somewhat higher level of sophistication, but it does give you some insights that you're not going to get any other way and get a feel for, okay, is the behavior, is the online behavior of the prospect 
consistent with what they're telling you and what they're showing you later on in the buy process. Because, you know, if they are or aren't, it gives you an opportunity to sort of begin to resolve those issues and optimize your process to make that work better and more in your favor. Yep. Steve, you know, it's interesting when people reach out, let's just say they reach out to you after they read an article or heard your podcast or went to a webinar you did, met you at a conference. When they reach out to you and say, hey, I I need to do something about my warehouse management system or whatever they're calling about. Mm -hmm. They know they have a problem and they want to work on it right then. And they think you can solve it. And that's that's a bar that it's a lot harder when, when you look at it from a sales process. From a sales process, you got to call and you have to somewhere along the line convince them that you're you're the guy who can fix their problem. And you kind of have to catch them on the day that they actually want to work on that problem. Because I've noticed, I've noticed people reach out to me sometimes and send me very detailed emails, and then I'll just won't get a hold of them the next day for whatever reason. And within a few days, it seems as if I'm never going to get a hold of them. And it's almost like they lost interest in the topic. Well, they, they may very well have. The other issue too is, and this is what's sort of kind of cool about the online resources, is that they know you. If I pick up the phone and call a complete stranger, I'm a complete unknown. And the unknown is the greatest risk of all for everyone. And when you, when you put out material where people can engage with you, they know more about you. You're not a complete unknown. And that's a big thing. And the, added to the, uh, the dwell time and the other things that are going on with the, you know, that are features of the medium. It's a powerful combination. And again, it, the other fun part about it is, is, is that, you know, the costs of doing it are well understood. They're well known. I mean, the stuff's been around now for, you know, 20, 25 years. It isn't as though, you know, it hasn't been used successfully and refined. So it's a really nice tool. You know, it can give you an awful lot of insight into the buying process. And that allows you on the other end to optimize it so that you can be uh, persuasive and successful. And, and, and honestly, your customers, when you use that and use that effectively, can be assured at that point that, that they're making a good decision because there's enough information available. I don't believe for an instant that a salesperson should be in the business of, of trying to fool or hoodwink any customer into doing business with them. And these, these mediums and channels provide a huge opportunity to get those questions answered in an efficient, truthful, comfortable way for everyone. Yep. Last week I had Adam Robinson on my podcast. And one of the things he said is, you know, understand your customers' problems and then write about them and do webinars about them and do videos about them and make their problems your number one priority. And so that's how, that's basically his content plan. And, and again, I think this gets back to it's very closely aligned to what we're talking about with the buying process. Oh, very much. If answering those questions is what they need done, and you can answer them before you even engage, you're starting with a, a head start. Yeah, they have questions and they're going to get answers. And the process they use to get those answers and how they use those answers to make their decision to do business with you is the buying process. It's also the process when you say, I'm going to do content, I'm going to speak to these people. You have to understand the things they're interested in and they're going to be interested in if not exactly, very closely to those things I just said. Yep. Steve, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Hey, anytime. I've enjoyed it. 
Yep. And tell me what's going on with you. What? How can people reach out to you? And um, what are you doing these these days? Well, you can find me on easily find me on LinkedIn as a. I'm involved with quite a few companies, helping them to do to grow their businesses, make their sales capabilities more efficient and effective. And also, in some cases, developing strategies for these companies to move from one market to the next. So I will put a link to your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. I sure appreciate that. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to my podcast. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. 